Grab a seat, everybody. Good morning. So glad you're here. Happy Labor Day weekend. And uh, we're in a seat. All seems so far away. No one sits up front anymore. Um, we're in a series. We're talking about a letter that Paul wrote to a church. One of the first letters he ever wrote uh, that we have record of. And uh, so if you need a Bible, we'd love for you to grab one. And you feel free to get up at any time and get coffee and drinks and Bibles. Um, but uh, we are in the middle of this letter. And, and part of the reason why we're in the middle of this letter is because uh, we really feel like God is uh, saying some things to us as a community uh, at this moment, at this season in the life of our church. And um, you know, I can't explain it. I can't, I can't, I can't tell you uh, that there was like some vision we got or anything like that. It just... It, it just felt like God wanted us to talk through this letter uh, right now um, in the life of our church. And, and in many ways, we're very healthy right now as a church. Leadership and um, just the things that I think that God has in front of us and um, has given us the opportunity to be a part of. And for that reason, we decided, well, we've got to lean in even more. We've got to leave it, lean in even more on what it means to be a healthy church. And um, and so that's what we're doing. And so over the next few weeks, there's some things that really um, kind of come into play with what it means to be a healthy church. Uh, next week, we're doing a meeting, kind of an uh, interest meeting uh, on the Family Shelter Initiative. Um, and so this is something we're partnering with uh, local churches um, and an organization called Growing Home to help um, homeless families um, get off of their, uh, get on their feet again. And so, love for you to be a part of that meeting next week here at Restoration. It'll be right after the service. It won't be too long, but we're just going to give you an idea what this looks like. And um, of course, healthy churches also tailgate party together. And so, we're going to tailgate party um, the Sunday the 18th. So, come come for that. It's going to be out in the parking lot. And uh, and then next weekend, we kind of kind of do a little survey and some sign up stuff. Um, make sure we have everybody's information correct going into the fall, but that really has nothing to do with being a healthy church, uh, but we're just still doing it. So um, if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and uh, let me just share with you uh, just an idea I've had for car manufacturers. Uh, maybe you've had this one too, but um, I want a two-horn system, a, a two-honk system, Okay. Uh, one honk is, you know, a certain horn that's just kind of a universal, hey, uh, just, you know, no big deal, you forgot the light, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of, you know, that, that honk. The other honk is the, I hate you honk, the, the, <laughs> the, I wish you weren't here on this planet honk. Do you know what I'm talking about? Two honk system, because I think it gets really confusing, Right. Um, and, and you don't really know what to do. Some of the, you, don't, you don't want to be mad at someone for, you know, not paying attention to the green light and give them the little honk, you know. Um, but it comes across as, oh, they're mad at me, right? So the other day, I'm driving into a parking lot, and right when I turn a corner, someone's pulling out. Uh, two people are actually pulling out at the same time. Um, and, and one of them, to make room for the other one pulling out at the same time, starts to back up even closer to me. And they don't see me. So I want to give them the friendly... <laughs> I'm here, don't come any further. Well, I honk, and they, they take it as, oh, he's mad at me, he's a jerk. 
And the other person thinks I'm honking at them too. And so between these two people, they're mad at me now. Okay? And so I'm trying to defend myself with sign language. Just, you know, hey, you know, not a big deal, you know, that kind of a thing. And it, it gets worse. And they're flipping me off and the whole thing. And so I'm like, I need two horns. And so I don't know if you've ever had that in your life where you're trying to defend yourself, trying to defend your actions or your reputation, and maybe you're trying to do it from afar. Maybe you're trying to do it from a distance. And you're trying to, um, you're trying to get, kind of uh, clear the air about who you are and, and what your actions have been. Um, in, in the time of Paul writing Thessalonians, um, there were a group of people, two different groups of people called uh, sophists and cynics. Sophists and cynics. Sophists and cynics are, are, are people that would travel around, okay, uh, town to town. And, you know, back then, you know, they didn't have a whole lot of entertainment like we do. Um, and, and people lived really outdoors in many ways. And so beautiful weather, um, and there, there really wasn't much to do inside. And so you would go into the public square, okay? And, and there would be these performers that would come, a sophist or a cynic. A sophist was a philosopher type. A philosopher who uh, believed in culture, believed in the goodness of, of humanity and how um, humanity collectively could improve uh, together. And so it was very self-improvement oriented. Think of like uh, Tony Robbins, you know, kind of very excited. You know, last week, if you were here, um, there was a seminar going on next door, and there was a, a motivational speaker guy, and he had, he had a picture. Um, I didn't meet him, but his, his, <laughs> his picture, I'm, I'm not going to talk about it. Anyhow, <laughs> so, so this is like a sophist would be a, a very motivational philosopher type person that would be, um, that would kind of play on your hopes and your dreams and your belief in the better humanity. Okay? And so the sophists would come into town, and they were usually uh, pretty, they tried to look wealthy, they tried to look put together, um, they tried to uh, look like they had uh, arrived and achieved, and so they would share their message with the people, and the people would be like, oh, yes, I want to be like them, and he's right, and, and whatever. And they would give this person money, and they would take this person di to dinner, and they would give this person a place to stay, and this person would be in town for a little, a little while, and then, and then leave and go on to the next town. Cynics were the same, similar, in, in, to the, but, but, but on the other end of the spectrum. So um, think of like a hippie or, or someone who lived uh, a free from the entrapments of society and, and was, trying to, uh, was preaching against, uh, they were cynical of society and culture and things like that. And so they had the other end of the pendulum and they would come to town and they would play off people's fears. They would play off people's like fears for uh, society and the future and things like that. And these were people that, um, if you, any, anybody been to San Francisco and seen the Bushman? The Bushman, a few of you. The Bushman's in your Pier 39 Fisherman's Wharf area. And the Bushman is a guy who dresses up like a bush. And, and you can pay him to like jump out and, and like freak people out. And um, it's really entertaining. Um, and I think I've told before, but I've blown a lot of money on the Bushman. So... Um, <laughs> 
the Bushman, and so the, the a cynic would come to town, and a cynic would just would talk about how we just got to separate and all this kind of stuff, and people are like, yeah, the cynic's right, and, and then the cynic would ask for money. Um, typically, they would, that, that's how they survived, and they would live off of fields. They would go through and eat whatever, and uh, sometimes people would give them a place to stay, things like that, but the, the issue is, is both the sophists and the cynics um, actually had bad reputations. They had kind of a lousy reputation as people who would uh, play on the hopes and fears of the people. And sometimes they would, um, they would kind of uh, embezzle people and, 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 and weasel people out of money. Sometimes they would actually uh, prey on innocent young men and young women to have sex with them. Um, it, they had a bad reputation. And it's into this kind of background that we find Paul. And he's defending himself. He's defending himself from the people, uh, from the accusations that he's hearing. See, remember, he wasn't in Thessalonica that long to start this church. We're thinking weeks or months, uh, a couple months at the tops. And, and then he gets kicked out. He gets kicked out of Thessalonica. I mean, they, they actually chase him out of town. Um, and he's on the run, and there's actually a group of people that follow him. They follow him to the next town and the next town. And, and he finally sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to find out how this little church is doing. Remember, we talked about this. And Timothy goes back, and he finds out how they're doing. And then he comes all the way back. And they think this is a year later that Paul finally gets this letter off to the people to see how they're doing and, and to encourage them. And, and so he gets his letter off, and, and the letter he's addressing, he's addressing kind of these concerns. And the concerns came to be coming back from Timothy are that some people, the same people that accused Paul uh, of, of starting a riot, you know, the same people that did this are actually playing on this idea that Paul is just another sophist or a cynic, that he's just another traveling uh, guy with a, with a, he's trying to just play on people's hopes and fears, that he, that he doesn't really care about them, that he... They're just getting sucked in. Uh, one of the commentators I read wrote like this. He said, uh, this is kind of uh, this idea behind this. He said, hey, hey, he just ran away. He hasn't been heard of or seen since. Obviously, he doesn't care about you. He's just a charlatan going up and down the road, um, you know, just avoiding, um, avoiding conflict, and, he's, and he's, uh, he's not concerned about anybody but himself. That's kind of the, the argument that, that the people were hearing, and so they're kind of getting discouraged. Well, maybe Paul was. They haven't heard from him. They haven't seen him. He hasn't come back. Maybe they're right. And so in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul begins to remind them, okay? Remind them about their relationship together. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go through these line by line, and then we're going we're to see what this means because Paul defends his reputation. He defends their faith that they've come to believe. And then he's up, up to something else beside, behind the scenes, and we'll talk about that here in a second. So verse 1, it says this. He says, you know starts off with just, you know. And he says this three times, you know. It's like, hey, you were there. You remember. You saw this happen, okay? You know. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. 
But with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. So he brings up Philippi. Philippi was the town they were in right before this. And in Philippi, there's this story of Paul, and he, and he casts a demon out of a, a slave girl. And this slave girl was actually had a master, and the slave girl was actually had, she had this ability to, to fortune tell, to tell people of the future. And so um, this master um, would use this slave girl to make money. And Paul casts the demon out of this slave girl, and she's no longer making any money. And so the, the master's upset, and he has him thrown into jail. And, and I don't know if you remember this, uh, but he's actually beaten publicly, which was, for a Roman citizen, that was illegal. To beat Paul publicly was illegal. And so um, he says, listen, this isn't, uh, I'm not doing this for money. I'm not doing this uh, for, for fame. I'm not doing this. This is, this is, people hate me because of this. People, uh, I get run out of town. I get thrown in jail. I get beaten. It's, a, it's not a glamorous job. I don't know if I've told you this story before, but there's a, there's a YouTube video out um, of two TV preachers, and they're talking about their, their jets. Have I told you this story before? If I haven't, if it's so fun. It's just my, my favorite things ever. So they're talking, they're sitting at the table and they're biblically opening up the book of Isaiah and they're talking about how um, important it is that they have these jets to get across the country, these TV preachers. And, and one of them talks about how he's on his jet and uh, God spoke to, speaks to him all of a sudden and said, uh, and said are, you, are you happy with your jet? And the guy says, well, of course, God, I'm, I'm totally happy with my jet. And he's like, well, I guess that's it then. I guess you shouldn't ask for a bigger jet. And this is this guy. They're having this conversation. And my jaw is like, what? I'm just going. And, and they start talking about how it's so important for them to have these jets so that they don't have to get on regular airplanes with people like you and me. Because, and this is literally what they said, airplanes are a, airplanes are a tube of demons. And it's important for them to get where they're going without having to deal with a tube full of demons. And so I'm just reading this, and I'm going, wow, this is so different. Paul is so different here. He's like, I'm not doing this for money. I'm not doing this for women. I'm not doing this for notoriety. And he says, verse 3, he says, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives. We're not trying to trick you. We're not trying to trick you. We're not... And that word for trick is actually a word that you would use for fishing. We're not trying to lure you in. We're not trying to, uh, you know, bait and switch you. We're not trying to trap you. He says, verse 4, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God. To be entrusted with the gospel, we are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. He says, you know, we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness we're not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. He's saying that, that even though um, we're doing something really special here, we could, have, we could have used that, but we didn't. He talks about not using flattery, not putting on a mask, and not looking for compliments. And then he contrasts those things with three things. He says that we speak as men who are entrusted by God, who are approved by God, trusted by God, and are seeking to please just God. 
I mean, he's just trying to make his case. I mean, I mean you, can, you can feel some of the language here. I mean, as he's defending himself because he's heard that he's just one of these sophists or a cynic, right? You can just feel him trying to explain himself. And here's the hinge verse right here. It says, instead. And then he, you know, it's weird. Kids are over here now. I'm used to the over here. So if, if, you're, if you're sitting over here because you're like, oh, man, I want to hear my kid. Well, maybe you should switch seats. They're over, they're over there now. But uh, he, he, he uses three images here. He says, instead, we were like young children among you, Paul says. We're like young children among you. Now, if you have young children... Um, there's, there's a sense in which Paul's what he's saying is that this is like an innocence piece, right? So like when you're a little kid, when your kids are little and they come up there and they're like, I love you, Dad, and you're like, oh, you know. And then when they get bigger, and they're teenagers, and they're like, I love you, Dad, you're like, okay, what do you want, right? So there's like, a, <laughs> there, there, like at some point in our lives we learn to have an agenda, but like little kids don't have agendas. They just, I love you, Dad. Bye. You know, and, and there's just this beautiful innocence. Paul's saying that, that we're, we're like innocent children among you. We didn't, we didn't have any hidden agendas. We didn't have any secret motives. And then he, the second image he uses is of a nursing mother. He says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. He's saying, he's saying we're like a nursing mother. And if you watch nursing mothers, they're just, they're just totally focused on their children. They're, they're watching them grow. They're watching little changes. They're, oh, did you see that? And, and, and you're, they're just so enveloped and watching and noticing everything. And they're, they're sacrificial and they're affectionate. And they're, they're giving everything to their children. That's what Paul's saying is, is it's like we didn't, we didn't just tell you the gospel. We like poured our lives into you. And you know this. You know this. And then he says this, surely you remember, verse 9, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel to you. So we weren't looking for handouts. We decided that we we're going to work. We're going to work. And, and Paul's day, um, you know, sophists and, and cynics could, could just kind of wake up late and, and then finally get out there and, and into the street and do their thing, and then someone would invite them over for dinner. It was actually a pretty good life. And Paul would wake up early, go to the market, sell his tents, and then he would do his thing, his preaching thing. And then at night... It says he worked day and night. At night, he would actually, that was where his craft was, and tents were built out of leather, and so he was a leather worker. And so it was just this round-the-clock cycle of hard work so that he could do what he was called to do. He says, you are witnesses, and so is God, verse 10, of how holy, righteous, blameless we were among you who believed. He had a crystal clear reputation. He didn't say, hey, except for that one thing. Remember that one time? No, he, 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 just, he just lays it all out there. Not as, a, not as someone who's like uh, you know, proud or arrogant or anything. He's just like, we just, have a, we just made sure we had a clear reputation among you. That you couldn't see anything with us and go, oh, man, they're kind of, 
kind of cheaters on that. Verse 11, he says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father. This is his third image. So he's done a young children, um, a nursing mother and a father. As a father deals with his own children. This image might not be great for all of you. I get that. Um, But it's an image that Paul uses. And it says, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. You know, there's some, I think there's some bottom benchmark things that um, any father wants for their kids. Um, and then there's just big dream stuff. You know, for me, I'm just for our kids, and, and I just want them to, to follow the leading of God in their lives, to see the joy of, of being on mission because who, of who Jesus is. And, 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 and that could, you know, take so many different roads, right? And, and so many different, be, you know, move away, whatever, but just follow Jesus, you know, whatever that it looks like. And Bottom line, though, there's just certain things that as a dad, you just go, okay. You know, I, I made a commitment that, um, that my son would be able to throw a baseball better than Tom Cruise. And it, I know that sounds weird, but if you've ever seen Tom Cruise, when he, when he threw the goose's, you know, dog tags off the boat, I mean, it's just this moment, right, with goose and Top Gun, and he throws the dog tags off, but he's just kind of, you know, and you're just like, Tom, come on, man. And so from that moment on, I'm like, my kid's going to throw a baseball better than Tom Cruise. And so hopefully we've gotten there. And um, so that's just baseline stuff. You know what I mean? Just baseline stuff. And so, I mean, he's, here's what he's saying. He's like a father, as a father sets an example, constantly encouraging, directing, and kind of rerouting, you know, your kids. And it's just, it doesn't stop. It's just this ongoing thing. And, and he says in first thing, and we, 13, we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, okay, stop there real quick. When you see, receive the word of God, I think we just need to be really clear what the word of God is because in our thinking, it's the Bible. And never in the Bible is the word of God referred to as the Bible. Okay, so let's just, understand what we're talking about here. The Word of God is the spoken gospel, okay? And that's what he's talking about here. It's the spoken gospel. And so, and he says, he says, which you heard from us, and there's this idea of this herald that comes to town behind that word, a, a herald that comes to town and proclaims an announcement, okay? Which you, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, not as um, a sophist or a cynic. You didn't accept it like that. You didn't accept it like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Or, oh, it looks like he's got it all figured out. He said, you heard the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. But you actually heard it as God's word. As something bigger. As something that had more mystery and power to it. As something you couldn't shake. Even though you didn't have answers for everything in your life. It came to you with such power, as it said early in Thessalonians, that you you could not shake it. And then he goes on and says in verse 14, and we're almost done. It says, for you, brothers and sisters, you became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. And these churches in Judea are Jewish churches. 
They're Jewish uh, Messiah-worshiping churches. And, and it, says, it says what happens here, but how did they imitate him? It says, you suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. And so there's this idea that it's your people that don't like what you believe. It's your community that, that as you come to faith in Jesus and as you change your allegiance over, there's actually uh, pushback from your own people. And, and this isn't a derogatory thing that he's ripping on the Jews. Paul is Jewish. Paul is Jewish. So you remember um, this crowd, we talked about the second week, this crowd that was ripped, whipped into a frenzy um, there, were, there were Jewish people that came to believe Paul's message. And then there were Jewish people that didn't, and they got angry. And remember I made the joke, and nobody laughed, that he whipped the group of people into a frenzy, and I actually made a joke about the U.S. men's uh, swim team, and nobody laughed. Do you remember that? Because I do. And I thought it was an awesome joke, and you didn't laugh, and it hurt. And, but he talked about this group of people that he whipped into a frenzy, and they were actually Jewish people that whipped this group into a riot. And it says in verse 15, this is what this Jewish group did down in Judea. They killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and they're hostile to everyone. He's not saying every Jewish person was this way. He's saying there was a leadership contingent. There was a culture of, of this that was at stake. And it's, he didn't say just Jewish people. You know, all, all along, it's, it's, it's very clear that it was also uh, the Romans who killed Jesus too. But, but there was this instigation behind it from the leadership of the Jewish people. Tacticus, who's a famous Roman ruler, he, there's a description with his, his seal attached to it that says, towards all, this is his description of the Jews. He says, towards all other people except their fellow Jews, they feel only hatred and hostility. There was a belief that Jewish people only liked their own kind, and, and if you weren't one of them, and if you didn't line up with everything they thought or believed, then they hated you which was very un-Israel-like. And in the Old Testament, you're supposed to be a blessing. The people of Israel were supposed to be a blessing to their enemies and their foreigners and everything like that, and this was not happening in Paul's day. So in verse 16, and this is, this is pretty heavy language here, it says, in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved... In this way, always heap, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Wow. That, that phrase, heap up their sins to the limit, is a phrase that comes from Genesis when God is talking about the Canaanites. And, and what's interesting here is when, if, 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 if a Jewish person would hear this, there would be only one of two reactions. One of absolute rage that Paul would lump them into the Canaanites. And then the second one would be absolute sadness. And if you were a follower of Jesus and you read that line and you were Jewish, you would be so brokenhearted. And if you weren't a follower of Jesus, you would be whipped into the biggest, fiercest rage ever. 
You know, it's funny when we think about this word wrath, a lot of times we think about this volatile, fly-off-the-handle, angry wrath, and God just, you know, obliterates people. And that's not the case. This is a very patient, long waiting that God goes through. And waiting years, if not hundreds of years, and it just comes to a place where he's like, I've had it. This book was written, this letter was written in A.D. 40. In A.D. 45 through 47, there was an unprecedented famine in Jerusalem. We read about it in other of the letters. When they start to take, collect an offering, we talked about this last year in, when we did, went through Colossians. They collected an offering because of this famine. Then there's a huge massacre that happens at the temple in A.D. 49. Same year, um, Jewish people are ex- expelled from Rome. There is this, this brutality that begins to happen. And, and finally, and these are, these are Jesus' words out of Mark 13 and Matthew 23, that, that the end is coming for the people of, uh, of Israel in Jerusalem. And in A.D. 70, the temple is destroyed. Now, what you need to understand is this isn't because Paul is angry and vengeful. Paul loves his heritage. He loves his Jewish heritage. And he even declares at one point that he would rather forfeit his own salvation if his people would come to Christ. He's willing to give up his own eternity to make that happen. So, we're at the end of this section. Everybody still alive? Still there? Good. A um, couple things I want to do really is just kind of pull this into now. For the few minutes remaining, I just want to pull this passage into now. What does this mean for us? What can we learn from this? I mean, there's really no commands in this. There's no do this, do this, don't do that. There's none of that. We just kind of kind of feel this out. And, and I brought a couple books here because in, in some ways Paul was talking about a biography of his relationship with the people, right? And I don't know if any biography fans in the house, anybody? There's like four of you. That's awesome. I love biographies. And um, here's a couple of my favorites. I read uh, Unbroken. You guys probably saw the movie. Book's better. Um, so I don't know if you're not a reader, that's fine. But uh, book's amazing. And no, you can't borrow it. The second one is this is this top five books all time for me, John Adams. And um, I literally kind of shed a tear at the end of this. And that sounds dorky and nerdy, but there's something about biographies where you, you kind of read about someone's life and you read about the things that they faced and the hardships and the difficulties and the, and the struggles and, and what life was like in their context and all those things. And you think to yourself, what can I learn from this person's life? Like, what would I do in that situation? How would, how would I react to that? Would I, would I lead the same way? Would I, would I serve someone the same way? Would I, would I respond well in that situation? And, and Paul is kind of laying out to them, this is my biography of how I know you. This is how you know me. You were there. You saw it. This is what we did. We weren't, we weren't huckstering people. We weren't conning people. We weren't, we weren't in it for money or women or fame or flattery or any of that stuff. In fact, this job kind of stinks. And he, he continues to tell the people, this is how I live. 
Hint, hint. Be an imitator. He says it earlier, you were imitators of us, and, and he says it in Thessalonians, he says it to a letter to the Corinthians, he says it in a letter to the Philippians, imitate us, imitate me. And it sounds really arrogant, but it's not. Remember, he's trying to be like a father to them. He says, first thing, he says, I'm not a con artist. Second thing, follow my example, which leads me to believe that we shouldn't be con artists either, Right? That, that, that in all of us somewhere, there's a gap. There's a gap between what we say and what we think we believe, and then there's, a, there's the actual reality, right? And, and so there's, uh, there's need for, for more um, just light on our life. Paul, three things Paul was. Paul first was a leader. He was a leader. Leaders say, hard things. Leaders, leaders have influence. They say hard things. They try to do things to get people uh, to do hard things. Uh, a lot of times they're unpopular. Uh, they, they push people out of their comfort zones. Um, it, it's just, it's, and, 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 and you might be sitting here going, well, I'm not a leader. Well, you probably are more than you think. Um, do you lead a group of people at your work? Um, do you lead your children at home? Are you a stay-at-home mom? It's just a very tough job. And, and how do you do that? How do you lead well there in your neighborhood? How do, you, how do you lead in your family? Are you an older sibling? Are you whatever? You have influence over people. And, and it's difficult sometimes to get people to do things that are hard. Just a, a little side note, a little appeal for us. One of the things, we just had a newcomer's lunch last week. And one of the things we, I asked a few people would just, hey, give us some feedback on our church. And what are, the, what are the good things? What are the hard things? And, you know, one of the main feedbacks we got that was really difficult and, but also good to hear was this. Um, we tend, if you call this your church home, we tend to kind of show up whenever. And, and <laughs> I mean, I'm, I get it. We like kind of get in here a little later. We kind of hang out in the lobby because we know people. But you know what new people do? New people come into the service, like on time. And, and it's really awkward sometimes if you're not here. And if, you're not, if you're the only one here and you're new, you just feel kind of awkward. And so my appeal to us is, hey, listen, um, expect new people to be here. And if you were new here, would you want to feel kind of alone? And, and so this is just a little leadership moment for me because hopefully I have a little bit of um, collateral with you um, to, to share that with you. But, but he's, Paul's just pushing with this whole idea of love and hard work. We love you so much, and, and we're, we're working so hard, and we care for you, and we're not doing magic formulas. We're not doing slick presentations. We're not doing gimmicks. We just love you. We love you as, as innocence. It's a very huge innocence behind this. We care for you like a mother does. We want to encourage you like a father does. It's kind of like being a parent. Some of you are a parent, uh, parents right now of young children, or some of you are about to be parents of young children, um, and good, good job with that. And, and there's, there's um, some, of you, some of you are parents, and you're, you have young children right now, and, and I call that the tunnel. You're in the tunnel, right? Because you can't, I mean, you can't do much. You can't go many places. Um, you're exhausted all the time. Um, and, and parenting on a base level, 
feeding your kids, clothing your kids, keeping your kids clean is an exhausting job. It's exhausting. It's like having a second job. And that's just the baseline level. Then there's that whole, oh, I want them to, I want to steer them in the right direction side of it. So, so that just takes even more effort and more time and, and more, you know, focus. And, and you just feel like you're in this tunnel and you just, you can't really see out of it. And I just want to encourage you, your job is important. You have leadership, you have, you have effect on them, and that's a huge deal. And, and, and so I just want you to see that all areas of our lives were leaders, leading. But it's that parental image that Paul has here. He talks about being a missionary, and we were sent to you. And you know that if you follow Jesus, you're also sent. And we've talked about that. There's a sentness to all of us that requires our love and our presence in people's lives. So you can't really, it's this idea that the, when Jesus came to this planet, this earth, he, incarnation is the word became flesh. The word of God, okay, became flesh. And a lot of times we split those two up. And we just tell people the word of God, but we really don't have any presence in their lives. We really don't have any impact in their lives. We kind of like lob little preaching bombs into their lives, but we really don't have any connection. It's like a street preacher, right? Yeah, they, should, they may be sharing the word of God. It might be accurate. It might not be. But there's no, there's no flesh there. They don't know you. You don't know them. And so Paul's like, we were there with you. We gave our lives to you, not just the word of God. And the final thing was Paul just talks, it talks about Paul being a herald. He was an announcer. Just by him being there, he was an announcer. And so I, he, at the end of this, I just want to run. Like I said, there's no command in this. There's no do this, don't do that. I just, I just want to run this, these verses that you've seen on the screen through this grid of our lives. If you take all the relationships in your life, and you run them through this grid of loving and serving or, or being innocent or, or caring affectionately or encouraging and, and steering. And what is your biography? What is your biography? Like if you were to write down like the people in your life, if you were to write a letter, if you were to, if you were to encourage someone from afar, what is your story? Who are the people in your life that your biography is spilling out onto? In a good way, you know? Like, who are you affectionate towards? Who are you loving? Who are you caring for? Who are you not trying to bait and switch something? Who are you genuinely reaching out to? What are we supposed to do with this? The closest thing to a command that I see is this. It's in verse 12. Live lives worthy of God. It says, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This, this kind of the idea that we're being encouraged to live lives worthy of God. It's not moralism. It's something way better than that. It's connection between what we say and how we live. Like I said earlier, there's, all of us, we've got a gap. 
You've got a gap. And it's not necessarily going to go away. But the goal of following Jesus is to make that gap shrink over time. As we become more like Jesus, we become more about what we say and what we claim and what we hope for, what this future is we're looking for. Like I said, we're called to be people of the future, and if our future is big, then that should line up with now, right? It should. It should line up with now. In First Peter, Peter actually says something to this effect. He says, live such good lives among the pagans. And pagans, that's not a derogatory a pagan. Um, it's not a derogatory term. That's just, that's what they were called. And uh, live, look, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. They may accuse you of doing it. They they won't want to find fault with you. They can't. Our vision, our vision statement here at Restoration reads like this. This doesn't mean we've arrived there. It says this, we start off with, we strive. We're striving, okay? We're striving to recognize and participate in the kingdom of God, Okay? And to be people that live inviting and distinct lives of discipleship. That's what we want to be. Striving for it. Recognizing, okay, recognizing and participating in the kingdom of God. And living distinct lives. Not better than you lives. Not I've got it all together lives. That's a sophist. That's a huckster. Right? Distinct. Not perfect, but aiming as best we can to line up our beliefs with what we say. So where in your life can you say that? Maybe you're like me and you've categorized your life. Maybe there's areas of your life that need to have come into the scrutiny of that. Maybe in your business life you've become somewhat of a huckster. Maybe you're trying to get ahead. Maybe you're trying to weasel for an extra promotion. Maybe you're trying to whatever. Maybe you're trying to put blame on other people. Maybe you're trying to get a, a you know, a, you know, ahead in, in other areas of your life. Maybe you're trying to cheat the system somewhere else. Maybe you're hiding things from your family or your wife or your husband. Maybe you're just not being really honest about your hurts and your struggles with the people in this room that you love and you know. Maybe you're afraid of actually living authentically because that means that people would know that you've got some stuff in your life. Hey, welcome. Welcome to the the club. Maybe there's some ways that if you say you follow Jesus and yet you're not willing to do certain things and there's some hard words in there. Jesus talks about finances and giving up your finances for people. And you're not willing to do that. You know, one of the biggest areas of discipleship is our finances, you know? And I'm not doing that to tell you to give here. I'm telling you to be generous with your finances, with people everywhere. And if you're not willing to open up 
okay, those big important areas of your life, then what are you really saying about who this Jesus is? And so these are some of the hard words that Paul's saying to us. And they're, very, they're meant to be encouraging. They're mer- meant to be encouraging. The, the, the life Paul is living is full of joy and it's full of God's power in his life. And he's saying to the people, hey, this is, I'm not a huckster. Live like me. Follow my example, follow my lead, and you will find life. You will find life. All right? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful. We're thankful for the words of Paul in this letter. And God, we admit that we all come into a place like this sometimes with a little bit of baggage, a little bit of pain. We feel like um, somewhere along the line, somebody has duped us. Uh, Some leader or some uh, pastor has said something and that their life hasn't meant it. Their life hasn't followed out that way. In an age with uh, church scandals and church abuse and spiritual abuse, emotional abuse, wealth, and all these things that are signs of more of the world than they are of your church. We take these words of Paul very seriously and we look at our own lives. You know, in what ways, God, are we the gap too big? In what ways are we manipulating other people in our lives and trying to get something out of them? In what ways do we have an agenda in our relationships? In what ways have we said, I'm going to love this person only if? Or I'm going to love this person and, and I hope to get this return. God, will you show us that that's not your way? May we be innocent like children. Maybe we be like nursing mothers, caring for people, affectionate and pursuing, sacrificial. Maybe be like fathers and be encouraging, guiding, correcting. God, may we just be loving and working hard, loving people and working hard to do that in our lives, making room in our lives, making sacrifices in our lives because we are people of the future. So we lift up these things in your name. Amen. We're going to take our offering during this last song, and so you're free to stand and, and worship and offering comes by and you're new and you don't